Well, good morning. I am checking my uh, documentation here to make certain that I've got the right stuff. Sometimes these, uh, the, those cloud spaces, you ever had problems with cloud spaces? No, never. You must not use them. I probably should have tried to pull this up while I was sitting down there. It's, uh, the cl my cloud is um, <coughs> giving me some, it's cloudy. Its vision is not as clear as it needs to be. Let's see here. Okay, I think we're good. So if you recall, last week we started a um, sermon. If you're visiting with us this week, man, you've jumped right in the middle of a really uh, deep, Study. We've been working through the book of Daniel, and we made our way through Daniel chapter 9. And in finishing Daniel chapter 9, we have taken a little excursus into the, the, the rapture question. Because in going from Daniel 2, Daniel 4, Daniel 7, Daniel 9, there's been a lot of indication about things related to uh, end times and the saints of God being overcome and the ancient of days showing up and establishing a kingdom and giving it to the saints of God most high. And so we started last week <coughs> uh, discussing um, what we as a church hold to as one of our distinctives and that is uh, premillennial theology and within the context of premillennial theology and premillennial theology simply means pre before millennial we believe there's going to be a future millennial kingdom and so premillennial there's going to be something that happens before the millennial kingdom shows up namely the rapture and the second advent of Jesus Christ that is premillennial theology in a very simplistic nutshell and that's what we here teach uh, as a church and I showed you this chart that shows you underneath the umbrella, the very large umbrella of premillennial theology, there have been, prime, there have been uh, specifically, not exclusively, there are perhaps some other uh, variations of views with regard to the timing of the rapture. But we see, as we saw last week, by way of review here, we see that each one of these, whether it's the pre-tribulation view or the mid-trib rapture view this is a pre-trib rapture view so these pre and mid concepts as you can tell are with regard to the timing of the rapture so but what we can see with each of those whether it's that or post or pre-wrath one of the things that we see that each one of these views have in common is that the rapture and the day of the lord are like two sides of the same coin that the rapture precedes the day of the Lord. In all four of these views, we have the rapture preceding the day of the Lord because premillennialist, those in premill theology, we, we use a very similar hermeneutic when we go to the scriptures and trying to make understanding. And so it's not 
odd at all that we see such similarities within these four concepts of potential timing for the rapture and then thus the day of the Lord that would begin on the same day. The, um, as I made mention last week, the, the thing that's uh, peculiar or unique, a better word, unique, with regard to the pre-tribulational position is that it holds to an imminent rapture, a any-moment rapture that there are no prophetic events that need occur before the rapture could occur. And then immediately following the rapture of the church that's being saved from the wrath of God follows the day of the Lord. And in the pre-trib view, that day of the Lord is the entire seven-year period of Daniel's 70th week. And so hence, we've been in the book of Daniel. We've looked at Daniel 70 weeks, and in chapter 9 in particular, the 70th week is carved out in isolation from the previous 69 weeks. And so this is where we're at with regard to that last week of Daniel's prophecy. And so <clears throat> this is one of the things that makes uh, the pre-trib rapture view distinct from the others, as you can see. Uh, the others, we have the beginning of that seven-year period in each of these and things that will proceed from there prior to the rapture. The, the pre-trib view is unique in that there is nothing that has to happen. As a matter of fact, that's why in the pre-trib view, um, people talk about the rapture could happen at any moment, like right now. I remember seeing a, a, a YouTube video of this, and it was really powerful. I thought about trying to find it and bringing it and, and scaring the wits out of all of us. Uh, it shouldn't be scary, though, but it was unique. It, 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 was, a, it was like a church setting like this, the pastor's up there preaching, and then whew, everybody just is gone in a twinkling of an eye. Well, there were a few stragglers still out there. They didn't all get raptured. They perhaps thought they were going to be going, but they uh, concluded wrongly, perhaps. But it's, and, it just, and they just leave you there in that moment feeling that, like, whoa, any moment, any moment. So what do you, what do you need to do? Hence, you need to always be ready at every moment for the coming rapture followed by the day of the Lord. And this obviously is a very uh, popular uh, notion. It's a very popular desire to not suffer uh, the coming persecution of the Antichrist and the wrath of God. Um, that's wildly, I think, uh, affirmed by most. I don't think I know of anybody saying, no, please, please allow me to suffer through the persecution of Antichrist. I, I would prefer that. Well, denounce Jesus and you would, they would say. So I think it's a very popular view in that regard. Now, last week, I told you that I, I personally have held to this view, this pre-tribulational view for the majority of my life. Once I started seminary, I mean, I paid really good money to, to, to hold this view. And so it, when I went through Dallas Seminary, this view was the view that was, uh, was held, and it was the only view that was really uh, lifted up as a view. And so I, I looked up to all these great men of the faith, and I fell right in line, and I believed those uh, scriptures as they were laid out to get us to a pre-trib view. However, over the last year or so, I've moved away from my pre-trib understanding with regard to the timing of the rapture. And so it's some of what I'm 
putting on uh, display for all of us. We began last week, and I kind of revealed to you that I've moved into the pre-wrath view. And you can see over here, you've got the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, and the pre-wrath. I have moved from the pre-trib view personally over into the pre-wrath view and now believe that the scriptures uh, through exegetical work really support the pre-wrath view. And that's what I started trying to articulate for us last week. Because my assumption is, is that probably most of us here this morning, if we are premillennial, believing in a future uh, millennial kingdom, if we're in that camp, the majority of those of us in the room here today are pre-tribulational. That's just a matter of fact. As a matter of fact, uh, the, Le the LaHaye Left Behind series made certain that most people believed in the left that you don't want to be left behind you want to be taken and that entire series promoted a pre-tribulational view it was a very popular view popularized through novels etc and um, and it's probably what most of you if you're in the premillennial camp hold to now I know in talking with some of you there's a few of you who are not in the premillennial camp and so I'm glad that you're still here with us and that you're listening to exposition of the scriptures, and I would pray that you, like all of us, be like the Bereans, and we study these scriptures intently to see that the things that we hold to, do they fit? How, how hard do we have to squint to kind of get through a passage to go, oh, I guess, I guess that kind of works. I think we need to really take a deep examination of these things, and so I have done that over the last year or so from the time I preached through the book of James chapter 5 and it talked about the coming of the Lord is near and that got me on a journey where I really started re-examining every passage that I could find regarding the parousia the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and its nearness and the imminent doctrine that I preached on that day and um, because it's near it's right near it could happen at any moment now in my move from pre-trib over to pre-wrath I started showing you last week now in this what we see here in the pre-wrath and it's hard to see the chart here exactly but here's the seven-year period so we've got this entire seven-year period and on this chart right here we're just picking up at the midpoint so the midpoint would be the three and a half year point right and so this is dealing with the last three and a half years of the seven-year period so this entirety we can't get all of it, it's out of the screen, but this entirety is a seven-year period, and this is the last three and a half years of that, so here's the midpoint, and this is where the pre-wrath picks up. This is not mid-tribulation rapture, this is a pre-wrath. It says that there's going to be, at the midpoint, a great tribulation, antichrist persecution that will lead to the rapture of the church, and then the day of the Lord's wrath comes against the world. This is what the pre-trib view teaches, and what I have been trying to expound on um, delicately. Now, you may recall also, and I think it's important to point this out again. When I was on this screen last time, I talked about this being, um, these are rap timing of the rapture issues. All of these are under the broad umbrella of premillennial theology. And that's why I articulate under the premillennial theology, there's no need for us to divide, kick each other in the shins, and have uh, vitriolic, um, uh, you know, dislike for one another because I hold to pre-wrath and you perhaps hold to pre-trib. That should not happen at all. Um, we are we are brothers and sisters in Christ underneath that pre-millennial understanding of eschatology. 
And I made mention to you that I had Dr. Walvard in the last year he taught at Dallas Seminary. He was about 91 years old, and I went through his class on the rapture question. And I sat there and listened to him for an entire semester. We used his book that he wrote, The Rapture Question, which I would highly recommend. It's one of the best books you're ever going to get regarding premillennial theology on the timing of the rapture. It's excellent. It's an excellent book. And then I did firmly agree to it. Now I just don't. But it's still an excellent book. But I'm under the umbrella of premillennial theology. And I support my brothers and sisters who, who would hold to a differing view than me. Because if perhaps I'm wrong, I don't think I am, and perhaps you're wrong, you don't think you are. We're on the same team. We're, we're, we're pulling for King Jesus, and we're here to make disciples of men until he comes. We just have in-house conversations and dialogues regarding the timing of said coming. Amen? That's what we do. I've seen it too many times people within the church sniping one another out over issues like the timing of the rapture. And it's a very distasteful and a very hurtful thing to the body of Christ without question. So we looked at this. I showed you this last week. You remember this, uh, this little chart that we looked at last week with regard to the, the midpoint? And remember, pre-wrath, we've got the midpoint right here, right? Three and a half years. So here's Daniel's 70th week, again, the entire seven-year period, which is Daniel's 70th week. And here we have the midpoint. There's a midpoint to this. So over here at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week, we saw in, in Daniel 9, 27, that he, this is the Antichrist, will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. Okay, so there's the one week. And this is the week of Daniel. This is the 70th week. It's the one week that's left of the seventy. It's a seven-year period, and, it's be, and it begins with the Antichrist making a firm covenant with the many. That's what it says right there in Daniel 9, 27. But we saw that in the middle of the week, well, when you get to the middle of the week, if the week is seven years, where does that put you? It puts you at uh, the three-and-a-half-year point. So the midpoint is the middle of the week. It's what Daniel 9, 27 talks about. In the middle of the week, he, the Antichrist, right here, will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering, and on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate. So there's going to be what's called the abomination of desolation that he, the Antichrist, accomplishes in the last seven years, the, the one last week, and he does it at the middle of the week. We see this. There, there's, n there's, no, there's no way to really even spiritualize this passage to make it say anything else. It is what it says. And then we also, so we can check off our Daniel 9, 27 passage, we also saw from Matthew 24, 15, where Jesus affirms this. We went to Matthew 24, 15. Jesus said, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, that's what the Antichrist does. He, on the wings of abomination, the one who makes desolate. Okay, so Jesus is affirming what Daniel said, spoken of through the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place. So it gives a location for this abomination of desolation that Daniel spoke of, and he's standing in the holy place, and that's when he's standing in the temple of God, and he's putting a stop to sacrifice and grain offering while he's in the holy place. It's one of the things he does. So we see that um, Daniel clearly articulates that midpoint and what the Antichrist is going to do there from the beginning and at the midpoint, and then Jesus affirms it. And then Paul in 2 Thess Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4, he said, now, 
we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him. So here you've got the coming and our gathering. This is called the rapture. That you not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The Apostle Paul in these two verses connects, like I said, it's like two sides of the same coin. You've got the day of the Lord, which as we talked more specifically about last week, is regarding the timing of God's wrath being poured out on the earth, right? We talked about that, and we saw this, we see this in every one of these views, right? We've got what? The rapture and the day of the Lord. Every one of them, rapture, day of the Lord, rapture, day of the Lord, rapture, day of the Lord, every one of these. And so Paul, here we see rapture, and we see day of the Lord, back to back, rapture, day of the Lord. He says in verse 3, let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come. What's, it, contextually, there's no other way to articulate this. The it that will not come is referring to the rapture and the day of the Lord. That's within the context. I don't know how else to to see this it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed now see I've highlighted this because there's two things that Paul says is going to have to happen first before the rapture and the day of the Lord one of them is a great apostasy there's going to be a great falling away from the faith there's going to be nominal Christians people who are Christians in name only but whenever the persecution of the antichrist kicks in it's not going to be very favorable to be naming the name of Christ. It could cost you everything. And so there is going to be a great apostasy at that time, and hatred is going to grow greatly amongst what used to be brethren because people will be abandoning the church in droves. But that's the first. The second is the man of lawlessness. And the man of lawlessness here is the son of destruction. Where have we seen him? Well, Daniel 9, 27, at the midpoint, the abomination of desolation, Jesus affirmed the one who makes uh, the abomination of desolation, as spoken through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Daniel said that he's going to put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. So that's the abomination at the midpoint. And Paul refers to this one as the man of lawlessness, the son of destruction. And in verse 4, Paul gives us a very clear description of what that abomination of desolation looks like. The best description in the New Testament we have anywhere. Who, and again this would be the Antichrist at the midpoint, opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, making himself out, displaying himself as being God. And so this is going to be that great abomination of desolation, the man of lawlessness, and where did... Where did the apostle, uh, where did uh, Daniel say that, that when, when that was going to take place? Well, at the middle of the week. When's the middle of the week? Well, it's halfway into the last seven years. So you got Daniel 9, 27, you got Matthew 24, 15, and we got Paul, 2 Thess 2, 1, 4, all giving us information about this midpoint and this man of lawlessness and what he's going to do once he gets revealed at the midpoint. It's just undeniable biblical evidence for something very strategic happening there at that mid point. Now, 
I want to add one more passage to our list, and that's Daniel 7, 25 through 27. Okay? In Daniel 7, he, and this here is a reference to the little horn in Daniel 7, who as we know, when you go back and listen to my ser- the series through Daniel 7, it's an articulation of he, the Antichrist, the little horn. He will speak out against the Most High. Well, what did we just see right here? We see him speaking out against the Most High. He takes his seat in the temple of God, and he makes himself out as being God. He definitely speaks out against God Most High, and he will speak out against God Most High and wear down the saints of the highest one. So the wearing down of the saints of the highest one is clearly some form of persecution that he, the Antichrist, at the midpoint will then, after that midpoint, start pouring out in a very vociferous way as such as the world has never seen before. Now remember, Christianity, Christians have been under persecution for how long? About 2,000 years. Has the church ever escaped the persecution of the Antichrist? Ever? No. What have they been called to do? Persevere through it. And so for 2,000 years, we have a trail of blood of martyrs who have given their life for Jesus. But this persecution, it's called a great tribulation. It's going to be the greatest persecution against God's saints that the world has ever seen. From over the past 2,000 years, when the Antichrist at the midpoint starts pouring out that persecution. The world hasn't been, ex- ex- been able to escape the persecution of the Antichrist for 2,000 years. So when Paul talks about the church escaping the wrath of God, that can't be persecution from the Antichrist. He's, they've been being persecuted now for 2,000 years, and there's a little bit more to come. That's what the pre-wrath view would teach. Okay? He's going to be wearing down the saints. We see this in Daniel 7, of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in laws. And what did we see kind of alterations he was going to try to make? Well, where was it? Uh, Right here, putting a stop to sacrifice and grain offerings. Right here in Daniel 9, 27. So back in the Daniel 7 passage, this is what he's going to do. And, now notice the very end there, I've highlighted. And they, the saints will be given into his hand for a time, that's one, time is one, times, plural, that's two, so one plus two equals three and a half a time, that's three and a half of something, and it's three and a half years, just like we have here from the midpoint to the end of Daniel's seven-year period, it's three and a half years, it's a time times and half a time. So from the midpoint, we've got Daniel affirming it, Matthew, Jesus affirming it, Paul affirming it, and then we see even another passage in Daniel 7 that gives more affirmation to the recognition of this persecution against the saints of the Most High who will be worn down by persecution of the Antichrist. Well, I actually have one more passage to add to this. You ready? It's Matthew 24, 21 through 22. Now remember, so here we got Matthew 24, 21 and 22, right? So don't forget that that falls right on the heels of what? Falls right on the heels of Matthew 15. So once you go 15, you get to verses 21 
and 22, it's in the same context where Jesus is affirming the abomination of desolations, which is clearly at the midpoint. There's no, there's no way to articulate that, uh, other way to articulate that. It's at the midpoint. Four, and now notice here in verses <coughs> 21 through 22 of Matthew, for then there will be a great tribulation such has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. And so like I was saying, the persecution of the church, the persecution of Christians has been going on for 2,000 years. But following the midpoint, there's going to be a great tribulation. Persecution from the Antichrist, Satan through the Antichrist, against the saints of God, just like we saw in Daniel 7. He will speak out against the Most High, take his seat, make himself out to be God, and wear down the saints of the highest one for three and a half years. Daniel 7. Jesus, following the, the, the midpoint, continues to teach, there will be a great tribulation such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Because the end of the world as we know it is at hand. It's coming. And so this persecution of the Antichrist is going to be the greatest persecution against the church, the saints of God, that's ever happened on the world. And just as God has not shielded the church from persecution and death for 2,000 years, the pre-Rathew does not believe that he's going to shield the church from this persecution either. And so Jesus goes on in verse 22 and he says, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So if I add <clears throat> this passage to our chart, it looks something like this. We've got Matthew 24, 1 through 15, sometime after the midpoint. The pouring out of the great tribulation that begins at the midpoint, actually, as we saw from these passages right here. But it says in verse 22 that those days, those days of the persecution of the Antichrist is going to cut short, which is what I call progressive revelation with regard to what we just saw in Daniel 7, 25 through 27. Remember, in Daniel, he said it was for a time, times, and half a time. That would be for three and a half years. Jesus is here bringing progressive revelation, more insight, because the rapture and the church age were both a mystery in the Old Testament. Both of them were a mystery that got revealed in the New Testament. The church age and the rapture were both mysteries from an Old Testament perspective. And so Jesus is now saying of this time that it's going to get cut short, but he doesn't say when. He doesn't say when it's going to get cut short. It's just going to get cut short for the sake of the lick. And had that not happened, what does it say? Had that not been cut short, no life would have been saved. And I believe that's talking specifically about the saints had those days not been cut short not one of God's saints would have survived the persecution of the antichrist but for the sake of the elect <clears throat> those days will be cut short and acknowledging that the rapture is for the church in light of all of this biblical evidence is the reason why I personally am no longer supporting the pre-tribulational rapture view. I'm seeing in the scriptures a case for the church to be ready to both endure and persevere through 
the great tribulation, the greatest persecution that the Antichrist is going to pour out on the saints of God on this earth. These passages are not talking about tribulational saints as the pre-tribulational view would articulate. They would say that whenever they would say that whenever well, I'm not my screen in there they would say that whenever the rapture takes place and there's this great vacuous departure of hundreds and hundreds of Christians on planet earth okay that was a little joke thousands millions let's say that those who get left behind are going oh my goodness what just happened all these people have vanished just like they said they were going to I'm left behind. I need to repent and trust in Jesus now. So in that view, you have a seven-year period where you have an ingathering of what's called tribulational saints. Um, what I have come to understand really studying this out more is the only reason there's the articulation of tribulational saints in that period is because of the placing of the timing of their rapture. That's it. So with the placing of the timing of the rapture, it turns the church, in my view, into tribulational saints, in their view. Our views have a lot of, very, a lot of similarities, but we differ on some significant parts that I think need to be reexamined. And so you get the privilege of getting them reexamined if you're a pre-tribber. I still love you, and if you <laughs> leave today and you disagree with me, that's okay. I would love to sit down and open the scriptures with anyone and say let's let's dig into this because this is an issue within our church we did not we specifically did not put the timing of the rapture in our constitution or in our doctrinal statements so we can have hearty debate over the timing of the rapture but i think you're going to find it hard to argue with what i'm showing you at least i hope you do and at a minimal be prepared to undergo some persecution that might be a maximum, but at a minimum, maybe don't just walk around as comfortably thinking, well, when all that, when all hell breaks loose, I'm already out of here, so it doesn't matter to me. Because perhaps you're not right on that. And you definitely don't want to be one of those caught up in that great apostasy of turning from Christ. If you still have hooves on the ground and that rapture didn't happen pre-trib, you don't want to have hooves on the ground and all of a sudden the persecution starts coming in fast and furious. We just had a worldwide mandate that everybody needed to take a shot in their arm. When this man shows up, he's going to have a worldwide mandate that says, everybody must take my mark. And if you don't take my mark, there is hell to pay. And that's how he's going to isolate the true children of God. And that's how he's going to know on whom to pour out his great vengeance and wrath against God's saints they will not take his mark he makes himself out to be God and we're saying no no you're not God there's only one true living God Yahweh from the Old Testament Jesus Christ our Savior and the Holy Spirit the Holy Trinity three in one and you will be marked for persecution so perhaps it's just good to be maybe ready on both ends right like man I'd love to miss that I'm ready to go pre-trib Lord just take me I'm ready to go but perhaps so maybe we're just kind of getting settled into here to where it's like okay 
I'm going to kind of humbly approach the scriptures and recognize that I might need to be ready for this. Maybe I'm not. If I'm out of here, hallelujah, glory, praise Jesus. But if we are, be prepared. Amen? It really is this simple. But I want to show you some more. Um, I want to show you some more. So what we've seen, so when we compile all those verses that I've been running us through, all of this right here, it, it looks like this. This is what it looks like. And the reason why I put a question mark down here is because no one na knows the day or the hour or the timing of when this happens. We just know that it's at some point following the midpoint and following the great tribulation persecution of the Antichrist. But for the unbelieving world, this is going to come upon them like a thief in the night. They're going to be, they're going to have some celebration like, hey, things are going well because the one world ruler, they took his mark and things are going to be going well for them. It's going to be all hell's breaking out on the church. And they probably pleaded with their relatives, just say you're not a Christian. Just take the mark so you can live. Come on, you can just fake it. True Christians are going to be going, uh-uh, I ain't faking it. I recognize what's going on, death before dishonor, because I know what's coming. My citizenship is in heaven from which I eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is what it looks like. Now, um, that being said, uh, I want to show you next how Joel 2.31 fits into all of this biblical support that I'm trying to lay out here for a pre-wrath view. So notice Joel 2.31 says the sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Here we have another passage telling us that there's going to be uh, some things that happen before, prior to the day of the Lord. And specifically from Joel 2.31, there are going to be cosmic disturbances. And the sun turn to darkness, the moon to blood before. It doesn't say it's after or during. It says it's before. So Joel 2.31, like 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 4, are passages that pre-wrath would call precursors to the day of the Lord, things that must come first. Like Paul said, the, the great apostasy and the man of lawlessness must come first. So don't let anybody deceive you in thinking that the rapture and the day of the Lord's come. These things must happen first. And here Joel 231 is a different kind of precursor and it's saying that before the, the day of the Lord and hence the wrath and the day of the Lord comes there's going to be cosmic disturbances right so this Joel 2 passage is important it's an important passage for us because we also know that there are some other passages uh, prophecies in the New Testament that speak specifically about this particular celestial sign and when it takes place. The first one we're going to see is in the book of Matthew. And guess what chapter it's in? 24, just like you would have expected. In Matthew chapter 24, is that large enough to see? I think it's kind of. If you're in the back, that might be, you might be squinting if you need glasses. But here in verse 29, I'm going to start reading right here to begin with. Verse 29, Matthew 24, 29. But immediately after, and pay very close attention to the details. Details matter. But immediately after 
I highlighted that word. Did you see the way I read that and I articulated? Immediately after, that's an indication that it's a word I'm wanting you to pick up on. Immediately after, thank you. The tribulation of those days, it's after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Cosmic disturbances, just like we saw in Joel 2.31. And then in verse 30, Matthew 24.30, right here. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear. So, then. So, something is happening after the tribulation of those days. Cosmic disturbances. Then, verse 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. In the pre-trib view, they... They take this passage as making reference to the second coming at the very end of Daniel's 70th week. But I think I'm going to show you how a better understanding of some of the particulars with the minutia within Scripture makes this way better as a time of his coming for the rapture of his church. So then, in verse 30, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the cloud of the sky with power and glory great glory verse 31 here we have the rapture and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet and will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other so verse 29 cosmic disturbances like Joel 231 verses 30 and 31 we have the rapture Jesus clearly teaches here that the sun moon and and star sign occurs immediately after the days, the tribulation of those days. And everyone agrees that those days in context is a reference to the persecution that begins directly after the abomination of desolation, which theologians call the great tribulation. We see this, so I've broadened out this passage for you. Remember in verse 15, right here at the top, Jesus affirming the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel. And when does that happen? Midpoint. Without question. See Daniel 9.27. It's a midpoint occurrence. Following that in the context, verse 20, it says, or 21, For then there will be great tribulation. Following the abomination of desolation, the midpoint, there's going to be a great tribulation such as, has not been from the beginning of the world until now nor ever will be the persecution of Antichrist against God's saints, the church. Verse 22, had those days not been cut short, no human being would be saved. And I think that's in particular referring directly to the church, those that the Antichrist is persecuting. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Verse 23, 22. And then you come down to verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, There's nobody that's going to try to argue, really, that, the, that those days isn't a reference to the Great Tribulation. It says, it uses the word tribulation. You say, well, it doesn't include the word great. Well, it's, it's a reference to the Great Tribulation contextually. You've got the midpoint. You've got the breaking out of the Great Tribulation. 
It's going to get cut short. And immediately after the tribulation of those days that's going to get cut short, there's going to be what? See the blue part right here? There's going to be cosmic disturbances, just like Joel 2.31 said. And then there's going to be rapture of the church, 30 and 31, in that sequence, in that order. So if you compare Joel 2.31, which says that the sign occurs before the day of the Lord, with Matthew 24.29, the passage we just read that says the cosmic sign comes after the great tribulation, which begins at the midpoint, following the Antichrist abomination of desolation, starting to see how the forensics and the particulars of scripture are starting to narrow things down for us. We have a problem with the day of the Lord being an entire seven-year period that doesn't start somewhere at the midpoint that's followed by great persecution, the cosmic signs, a rapture that I'm going to put, I'm going to put in here for us on our chart that's then followed immediately by the day of the Lord's wrath as we have in pre-wrath, premillennial rapture. So it seems to me that there's explicit evidence that the day of the Lord's not seven years. It happens at the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week. Well, sometime after the midpoint of the 70th week, there's going to be a rapture I'm going to put in here, and I'm gonna, we're going to keep that question mark on it because we don't know if it's here, if a year, if it's two years, is it two and a half years. It's going to be like a thief in the night. We're not going to know. But we have explicit evidence that there's going to be signs, precursors, that will indeed happen before the day of the Lord. Second Thess, Paul, a great apostasy. Second Thess 2, again, Paul, the revealing of the man of lawlessness. Joel 2.31, Matthew 24.19, cosmic disturbances. The forensics of the word of God seem to be very precise about all these details, all pointing to a time in the last three and a half years of the 70 years for the rapture and the following day of God's great judgment. Now, can you see why I've spent the last year re-examining all these passages and reevaluating my position and humbly moving from one to another? And I say that with great trepidation because a lot of men that I respect greatly have not moved like I've moved. And you say, well, what do they do with the same evidence that you're kind of laying out here for us? Well, that would be an entirely an, a whole other sermon that I'd have to give you. You want that one? I could give you three primary pre-tribulational teachers that try to address this pre-wrath view and what they do with it one of whom is a man that I dearly love and respect. It's Dr. Mayhew from the Master's Seminary. We read out of his book every Saturday morning, Dr. Mayhew and Dr. John MacArthur's theology book. We read from him every week. Highly respect this man. And perhaps if time allows next week, I can show you what he tried to accomplish 
but I can verbally just tell you right now, I can show you the chart, but verbally what he tried to accomplish was he, he, he recognized that everything that I've laid out here for you is true. He's acknowledged this. And he puts it at right here on his chart, on the pre-trib chart. He'll put it right here, and he'll lay all of this. He'll lay all of this out, Dr. Mayhew, and he'll put it right up here on the three and a half, and he'll, he'll say, yep, yep, and he'll agree with all these things. But he's so committed to a pre-tribulational imminent rapture of the church, what he does is he, he removes this pink portion right here from calling it the day of the Lord. He removes that pink portion, and it just turns white. And it's a gap and so he because he's so committed to there being a pre-tribulational rapture that's imminent that can happen at any moment at any time to inaugurate that seven year period he now has a gap and within this gap you know what he says nothing just silence I've never seen a view from pre-tribulationalist ever separate the rapture from what he then has the day of the Lord beginning at the midpoint I've never seen that and I could show you two others that have come up with similar theories on trying to how to resolve some of these particulars within the scriptures but again that would be that would be more like a seminary class that you would need to go to right if we were to offer a class on Wednesday nights on premillennial theology and get into some of this in round tables would you be interested I see a few hands. We're, we're considering that. Following the study of the book of Daniel, we're considering perhaps seeing if there might be some interest in coming up, sitting around the table. So you can actually raise a hand, because you can't do that here, right? You can raise a hand and say, but what about? And what about this? And what about that? And how do we understand this? And what about, and, what, how, and we can actually sit there and we can, we can really just wrestle through the pages of Scripture. I think that would be a pretty awesome thing to do. We've, if we're going to do it, we've got to pull the trigger on it pretty quick, so pray as we make decisions about these things. But that's one of the ways that Dr. Mayhew tries to resolve these things that now are affirmed, at least from him. I'm not saying every pre-tribber would affirm that. There's many who say, no, they're committed. This entire seven-year period has to be the day of the Lord. And so what they've done is they've, they've conflated and brought together the great tribulation of the Antichrist and the wrath of God, and they've made it into one. It's the same thing, because after all, all wrath is poured out from God from heaven. And they're either unwilling or unable to see the distinction that we even have in these passages. That the day of the Lord, there's going to be cosmic disturbances, Joel 2, 20, 31 says, before the day of the Lord. Jesus in Matthew 24, 19 says, after the great persecution, then there's going to be cosmic disturbances. We have forensics in the scriptures that show us that these two things, the persecution of the Antichrist against the church and the day of the Lord's wrath, are not the same things. We have that very plainly stated. I don't even have to stretch anything. I don't have to squint at all. Eyes wide open. That's what it says. But I can tell you, having been a pre-trib person for most of my life, it's difficult to move from one position to another. It's extremely hard. You feel a little awkward. I felt really awkward. Started seeping it out here and <laughs> letting it out a little bit here. But I got so convinced with what I was seeing in the scriptures, I just could no longer say that this isn't what I'm seeing in the text. This seems to clearly be saying what the text says. Hey, have I told you before to be like a Berean? 
this is where we get our spades out and we go digging into the particulars of the scripture and we press into it hard. I read a book last week. It's a three-point, it's a three-pointer, one of those counterpoint, point, counterpoint. It was on this. It was a pre-trib person. It was a post-trib person and a pre-wrath person. They state their case and then they start slinging arrows, putting holes in everybody's argument. Just read through that last week again because I'm, I'm wanting to feel the heat of how people are poking holes in pre-wrath eschatology, timing of the rapture. I want to feel it. And I want to see the, I don't want to just hear rhetoric. I want to see the exegetical work they go into the text to say, here's the scriptural evidence. That's what I look for. And I'm still standing here today, having transitioned. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that word because my son TJ reminded me last week. He said, Dad, you can't say transitioned. Somebody's going to take that video and just chop it down. And then they can say that you transition from anything to anything. You just don't use that word. So I've moved. I don't know. Got to be so careful these days, don't we? So I've moved, and I'm feeling very comfortable with said move. It's 11.22. I still need to show you how the rapture fits in right here with these cosmic disturbances. Are you ready? Hey, will you go let the children's ministry know we got another hour? Have I got your attention yet? I tell you, the word of God is a gloriously beautiful thing, is it not? And um, it causes us to think deeply because theology is the greatest of philosophies. It's the mind of God. And though he didn't give us a whole lot of detail in the scriptures with regard to these issues, he has given us some details. And when you do a study through the book of Daniel, you run into these details. And then it causes us to need to take a peek at these details and see what they say. So following this, where I was taking you, was to the book of Revelation. And I'm going to show you again cosmic disturbances. Followed by a day of the Lord in Revelation chapter 6. And then... This is where I'm going to pick up next week. And then I intended to show you what takes place in Revelation chapter 7. It's really fascinating. And, um, and, you know, and sometimes I find myself thinking, well, Ben, what's, how does all of this got to do with our day-to-day living? And I'll tell you, this is like, future end time stuff that's kind of like well maybe you know there's views this view there's that view but you know what it really does for me most importantly and I pray that it does for you as well is it makes you more convinced than ever to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ to fulfill his great commission that's our laboring we can have hefty dialogue over these issues we need to be laboring the harvest is ripe laborers are oftentimes few we get kind of comfortable in an American culture and society if you haven't noticed things are starting to get very uncomfortable for you Christians and it's not going to get better we can't legislate this in we're you know turn out at the poll yes we vote but I'm telling you you can't outvote God you just can't we'll try to be a retardant for as long as we can, but we can't outvote God. And God has determined that these things will come to pass. And so we must, as God's church, be vigilant and busy about fulfilling the Great Commission, meaning we both speak the gospel, we live the gospel, 
so that the elect, and in my mind, I don't know who the elect are. For me, one person is the same as the next person. I preach a whosoever will gospel. I'm going to plant and water that gospel as best I can where I go, and I'm just going to allow God to be God and cause growth and allow people to make decisions and then rejoice when they come to faith in Jesus and call him Lord and believe. I'm going to say, yes, I'm going to rejoice with them, and then we want to disciple them to turn around and do the same thing. That's why he's left us here. I mean, if you get a chance to go boating tomorrow, that's beautiful. It's fun. Put on your SP3, whatever, 50 or 100. Have fun to the glory of God. Whatever you do, eat, drink, go skiing, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Enjoy the days that God's given us into this earth, but never forget he's given us one commission as a church. And this kind of study really ramps me up with the importance of doing that. People need the Lord. People need to know that there is... Like it says, it's been appointed unto man to die once, and then comes judgment. And when these cosmic disturbances take place and the wrath of the Lamb falls, let me tell you, there's going to be great judgment that's going to fall, and people need the Lord. And we have a window in this church age to continue doing that labor, church. Amen? That's what we want to be about. And so this really heightens my awareness to that great need. Next week is going to be it. I'm just letting you know right now, next week is going to be it on this excursus on the timing of the rapture. Are you glad? Hey! No, don't go there. I, I, still, want, I still want to enjoy my meal today. But I'm hopeful that you're at least getting your thinking cap enlightened a little bit and challenged to reevaluate like a Berean and study. Study the Word of God. If, if I can do anything to get your nose in the book and to study the Word of God, then I've done I think, a diligent job in preaching. Y'all ready to get out of here? I can see some of you are already out of here. <laughs> huh? Hey, if they can fall asleep on the Apostle Paul, I, I don't feel bad. Because that's the Apostle Paul. I mean, he did miraculous things. I haven't done nothing. All right, how about we pray? Father, we thank you so much for the ability as your church to dig into your 